I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Better living through chemistry was an industry slogan. Now, people worry about how those chemicals affect their health. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. Dr. Arlene Bloom is a mountaineer, a chemist, and a crusader. Her efforts decades ago got flame retardants out of children's sleepwear. Where else might you find flame retardants, stain repellents, or other endocrine-disrupting chemicals? Mold can be stealthy, hiding behind walls or in damp, dark crawl spaces under a house. What are the health consequences of mold exposure? How can you prevent mold growth in your house or office? And what can you do to take back your health? Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, learn how you can avoid the toxins in your home. Welcome to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Are there toxins in your home? They may be hiding in plain sight, in the carpet, or the cushions in your couch. In the kitchen, have you stacked plastic containers with endocrine-disrupting bisphenols in your cupboard? Mold can also have toxic effects, and we'll talk about that later in the show. First, though, we'll consider common chemicals that can affect our hormones, and we'll find out how you can avoid them. Our first guest is Dr. Arlene Bloom. She's a biophysical chemist, author, and mountaineer. She's executive director of the Green Science Policy Institute and a research associate in chemistry at the University of California, Berkeley. Dr. Bloom's research and policy work has contributed to preventing the use of flame retardants and other harmful chemicals in children's sleepwear, furniture, electronics, and other products worldwide. Her current challenge is to educate decision makers and the public to reduce the use of entire classes of harmful chemicals in everyday products. You can learn more about these chemicals at her website, sixclasses.org. Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Arlene Bloom. Delighted to be back with you. Dr. Bloom, you know, I think there was a time when Americans were quite concerned about chemicals. Uh, Rachel Carson, Silent Spring, and then they heard about flame retardants, and they heard about bisphenol A, but then California changed the rules that got rid of the flame retardants and bisphenol A disappeared because people were so up in arms and people went, oh, everything's fine now. We don't have to worry about flame retardants. We don't have to worry about bisphenol A. Uh, is everything fine? No. Unfortunately, there are tens and thousands of untested chemicals in everyday products. And these chemicals migrate from the products into dust, into us, into the environment. And I believe they're responsible for a big chunk of the cancer and other health harm in our population. Well, let's start right with the flame retardants. Have they all disappeared from our foam cushions and our furniture and our mattresses and every place else? And, and can we let down our guard? Well, that's a lot better indeed. Uh, 
the regulation was changed so that flame retardants are no longer needed in furniture or children's product foam. And the foam industry immediately stopped putting flame retardants in foam. They said making foams, like making a souffle, and flame retardants are a bad ingredient in your souffle. So I would say most new furniture is fine. Used furniture probably is not fine. This has only happened in the last two or three years. Uh, but flame retardants are still used in other places where they're not necessary. Uh, cases around televisions, uh, foam plastic building insulation. So there's still more to be done. And sadly enough, the flame retardant producers keep pushing back, trying to bring the flame retardants back into our furniture. Can you believe? So the problem is way better, but not solved. Dr. Bloom, what are the harms associated with flame retardants? What do we know? There are literally thousands of papers on health harm in animal studies and even in humans. And by the time you have studies in humans, you know you're in trouble. So neurological impairment, the average American child has lost three or four IQ points from flame retardants. Reproductive impairments, they can contribute to infertility, they contribute to obesity, they are cancer-causing. And they're in just about everyone in America. And they were mostly used, a lot of that exposure was from furniture foam, where an attempt, an unsuccessful attempt to reduce an estimated 30 addressable fires in the United States all of us, 300 million people have flame retardants in their bodies. So that's 10 million people with flame retardants in their bodies that wasn't even successful in reducing one fire death. It's very lopsided. So Dr. Bloom, if we've got an old couch, you know, 15 or 20 years old that we love or an old easy chair, chances are pretty good if it's got cushions, it's got flame retardants in it. Maybe it's time to replace. Well, um, if you live in California, almost for sure. Otherwise, pick up the center cushion on your couch. And if there's a label that says California Standards or Technical Bulletin 117, that means it has them. However, if it's newer, it'll say TB117 2013, and there'll be a checkbox saying whether or not it has flame retardants. But I have a suggestion. Instead yeah. of replacing the whole couch, if you like it, you could just swap out the foam in the cushions because pretty much all the foam in foam stores now has no flame retardants. And the cushion foam is really the source of the problem. So oh, we recommend, excellent. Yeah, that sounds I, like a more cost-effective way yeah. of um, protecting the family. Let's talk about bisphenols. We heard so much about bisphenol A, BPA, and there are now lots of products that say BPA-free, but some of them have used other chemicals like bisphenol S. Are all of our aluminum cans and uh, cash register receipts and all of those water bottles now safe? Unfortunately, it's very common when a chemical is phased out. The easiest thing, because it's expensive for industry to make big changes, is to have a drop-in replacement that's almost identical in structure, function, and harm. So um, as you said, the common replacement for bisphenol A is bisphenol S, which is nearly identical in all ways, including harm. That's 
what's called a regrettable substitute. And it's very unfortunate. So we cannot say at all that things are safe if there's a very similar substitute. So what are you suggesting for baby bottles, water bottles, and all those other containers that we rely on, like aluminum cans? Well, I would say glass is really good, um, metal canteens, and um, it's a lot of work talking to the company and saying, you know, we don't want this fennel A, B, C, D, E, F, G, up through S. <laughs> Let's switch gears and talk about a series of compounds that are abbreviated PFAS, per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, uh, PFOAs, PFOS, PFAS, PFAS. Th- these are in a lot of products, carpets, because they resist staining, cleaners, clothing, cookware, cosmetics, food packaging, furnishings, outdoor apparel, paints, papers, protective coatings of all sorts, and they even use them in firefighting foams. What's the problem with uh, PFAS? Well, PFAS, I have to tell you, is my very favorite class of chemicals because they are the worst. And the big problem with all of them, and there are more than 4,000 kinds of PFAS, is they never break down ever. They're called forever chemicals. They'll be here a million years from now. So the chemical that was used to make your Teflon frying pan or your Gore-Tex jacket will be on the planet perhaps after humanity. And the ones that have been studied have been found to have a wide range of toxicities, um, you know, ranging from a number of kinds of cancer to high cholesterol to obesity to hormonal problems. But, but I, you know, it's not hopeless. They're in a limited number of products and they're often not needed. You know, life was fine before we had PFAS and life could be fine again with a very limited use of PFAS. So we think they should only be used when they're essential, given the huge potential for harm and the fact that they're forever chemicals. So, Dr. Bloom, if these chemicals are affecting hormones, that means they're endocrine disruptors. What types of hormones do they influence? Well, as I said, they contribute to obesity, elevated cholesterol, decreased fertility, thyroid problems, decreased immune response to vaccines in children. They're linked to kidney and testicular cancer. You know, there's a lot a lot of health harm for, from the handful that have been studied. Now, can you even get carpet that doesn't have PFAS in it? Absolutely. In fact, the good news is a, a number of major carpet companies are out of using PFAS completely and I think most of them are on the way out. So uh, there's a lot of industries that have discovered the harm of PFAS and are stopping using them. And, and that's really good news. How do we find products that don't have these per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, the, the PFOAs, the PFOSs, etc.? Well, for some products, um, it is listed on the label. So, for example, um, if you're going to buy personal care products, you don't want them to say like perfluor or polyfluor. I think we have a website about these different harmful classes of chemicals. And, for example, on the one for the PFAS, there's a section called What Can You Do? listing how you can avoid them 
And uh, indeed, we recommend we have a four-minute video on PFAS and others on each of the other classes of harmful chemicals, and they all have hints on, on how to avoid them. Dr. Bloom, what is that website, please? It's sixclasses.org, S-I-X-C-L-A-S-S-E-S dot org. And just to say the idea about having classes of chemicals is you don't go from, for example, bisphenol A to bisphenol S. You try to avoid the whole class, only use it when it's really necessary. And people can learn about these classes and they can make healthier choices. Dr. Arlene Bloom, thank you so much for talking with us again on The People's Pharmacy today. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Dr. Arlene Bloom, Executive Director of the Green Science Policy Institute and a Research Associate in Chemistry at the University of California, Berkeley. She's a biophysical chemist and an author who has worked to prevent the use of flame retardants in children's sleepwear, furniture, and electronics. She educates the public and decision makers about entire classes of harmful chemicals through her website, www.sixclasses.org. You'll find a link to it from our website. After the break, we'll learn about mold. What health problems can mold exposure cause? Are antifungal drugs helpful in overcoming problems from mold exposure? You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy podcast is sponsored in part by Kaya Biotics. K-A-Y-A Biotics offers the first probiotics, which are both certified organic and hypoallergenic. All probiotics are produced in Germany under laboratory conditions with high-quality ingredients and under strict regulatory oversight. The three available formulas are created for very specific purposes, such as strengthening the immune system, fighting yeast infections, and helping with weight loss. To learn more about Kaya Biotics probiotics and the important topic of gut health, you can visit their website, KayaBiotics.com. That's K-A-Y-A Biotics.com. Use the discount code PEOPLE for $10 off your first purchase. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. If you would like to purchase a CD of this show, you can call 800-732-2334. It's show number 1177. That number again, 800-732-2334. Or you can place the order online at peoplespharmacy.com. You can also download the podcast from our website, or wherever you get your podcasts. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Verizana, an analytical laboratory providing home health tests for hormones, gut health, and the microbiome. Online at V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A dot com. Today, we're finding out how you can avoid toxins in your home. One source that might be easily overlooked is mold. It can grow in out-of-the-way spots where you might not look in a basement or crawl space, or around the edges of your air conditioning ductwork. 
Wet weather and floods are especially favorable to mold growth. What does mold do, and what can you do about it? We're talking with Dr. Jill Krista, a nationally recognized educator on illnesses associated with mold and mycotoxin exposure. She shares what she learned after over a decade working with people struggling with chronic diseases related to mold. Dr. Krista is author of Break the Mold, Five Tools to Conquer Mold and Take Back Your Health. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Jill Krista. Hello, such a pleasure to be here. Dr. Krista, we're talking about mold, and I think a lot of people, well, they either take it for granted or they really worry about it. Uh, so first of all, what is mold and how does it differ from mildew and fungi? So it seems like they're all part of the same family, but I don't think we really have a good understanding. Right. Mold is the planet's decomposer and recycler. So it plays a very important role on our planet to turn decaying material into nutrients that can be reused. And it's important outside, but can be damaging inside. So mold and mildew are in the fungi family, and uh, we don't feel well, and it can impact our health when mold and mildew are happening in our living environment. What kind of problems do we encounter if we're exposed to mold? Mold can create many, many symptoms in the body along many different systems in the body. So it's a little confusing when um, I'm working with a family and each of them are displaying slightly different symptoms. Some may be respiratory, but that's not required in order to have a mold sickness. Uh, If the mold spores are trapped behind building materials and it's just the toxins that have come into the air, the person may be experiencing immune deficiency symptoms, liver toxicity symptoms, neurological symptoms, So it may not even be respiratory. And that's what's so confusing. And based on an individual's unique genetics and their previous health status, of course, you guys know, we talk about diet quite a bit, how their diet is, um, they may have completely different symptoms than their sibling or their parents. You are a naturopathic physician, and I think our listeners are sort of understanding what that is, but maybe you could just give us a little insight on your background and training and then why you're so interested in mold and how it affected you and your family personally. Sure. So a naturopathic physician are natural medicine experts. We've been trained in a combination of conventional medicine and natural medicine. And the way that I came to learning about mold was working with Lyme disease patients I had this subset of patients that when we would do the regular treatment, and Lyme disease can be kind of a a difficult disease to heal from, and I had this subset that just weren't responding to things the way that we were expecting that I was seeing with the other patients. In one of those patients, they found black mold in his home, and I knew that was important, but I didn't understand how profoundly it was affecting his health. I think we think of mold as a an aesthetic problem in a house and not a health problem. And as I learned about mold, I realized, oh my goodness, this is behind so many of his odd symptoms, ear ringing, anxiety, insomnia, pelvic pain, digestive upset. He had something called SIBO or small intestinal bowel overgrowth syndrome. So 
it all of a sudden was the one nugget that connected all of these things. So I went to the other patients that were stuck and we started to do home investigation with a certified building inspector. And sure enough, we're finding water damage or a history of exposure to water damage in those patients. So for me, it was the big light bulb that went went off. The tricky thing about mold is that if it is, it is a slow growing problem. And so if you're exposed to it and you don't know that it's the problem, you can sort of <laughs> miss it, even if you're trained like I was. And that's exactly what happened in our family. We had a relatively new home. So that's the other surprise. It can happen in any building if it's at a high enough moisture or humidity level. And we had quite a bit of water damage that was unseen and didn't notice it because when we moved into the home, it was beautiful in the fall. We could keep the windows open. So it didn't really, there was no abrupt trigger. And then over time, as we were closing up the house, as it became winter, I live in Wisconsin, so we have four seasons. As we closed up the home, we started to get sick, but didn't notice because it was slow growing and slow exposure. Once we figured out, once the flood revealed itself to us, we had water rain down into our kitchen and then we realized, oh my goodness, this is a huge problem. But that's when I was realizing that, oh, I know what to do. I already know the tools and we got going on all the tools. We got going on remediation and I was so motivated to write the book because I thought how lucky I am that I have all of that and everybody needs to know this because people can take charge of it themselves. What are the symptoms that most people experience if they're exposed to mold and it's giving them problems? And what did you and your daughters experience? Um, So the most common symptom that I see across all mold patients that I've worked with is some level of anxiousness. I wouldn't say that goes as far as anxiety, but anxiousness, unsettled, a feeling inside where they just can't calm you know, we can work on breathing programs and that kind of thing, but it still overrides that. I also see quite a bit of insomnia, um, whether or not the person is sleeping in the moldy area. I see quite a bit of bowel disruption, fungal overgrowth problems, respiratory problems like sinusitis, dry throat in the morning, postnasal drip, lung burning, that kind of thing, and also neurological so we might see somebody who has a pre-existing sciatica that once they're exposed to water damage building, the sciatica is just flared because the nerves are very angry. Mold mycotoxins are immunotoxic, um, neurotoxic, and they also are toxic to the detoxification systems in the liver. So someone, a typical thing would be if someone has moved into a water damage building or maybe took a job in a water damage building, and they started having food sensitivities they never had before. And oh, by the way, now I'm allergic to grass and they never were before. And I can't sleep and I'm stressed out and I've got a rash. <laughs> Those would be like the typical pictures that we would see. And as you see, it's incredibly difficult to determine if you have mold or not because it can be so varied and all over the body. Well, so for myself, I created a, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, these are incredibly nonspecific symptoms. Lots of other problems also cause them. Exactly. Yeah. And that's um, similar to Lyme disease. Mold can just make whatever your pre-existing issue is just a little louder. And so it can go undetected for quite a while. 
And that's why for myself in, in practice, I created a questionnaire so that I could try to quantify the picture a little bit better as a physician because I was having a hard time identifying it as well. Well, you mentioned that, yes, this is kind of a nonspecific because there may be respiratory problems, neurological problems, skin problems, on and on. And a lot of your colleagues, allopathic physicians, they kind of dismiss the idea of um, systemic mold infection because they haven't really been trained in this area and they think, well, here comes another person who's complaining about mold. Oh, boy, psychosomatic. What can I do? How do you deal with your colleagues who may not have as much experience with mold as you have had? Yeah, that is so true. And the reason is that this, the research that's out there is it's missing. It's lacking terribly. We have a lot of research on the effects of mold and mycotoxins on animals. And those that work in animal husbandry, those that are in charge of feeding animals, they know about these effects because they they lose stock. So they have figured out how to test foods and to mitigate those foods by adding anti-mold things like rosemary and adding things like turmeric and milk thistle to the food to protect the animals. And so it gets discounted that it's only an ingestion problem. It's not a respiratory problem. But when you look at the science of how these mold mycotoxins can absorb into the body, our lungs and our skin absorb them much more readily than our digestive system. So it isn't only an, it isn't only a bad feed problem <laughs> and that all of these things can happen if you're in an environment. So what I tried to do is just, you know, present the animal research and then present the building research that shows us that when we have a water damaged building, the air in that building and the surfaces in that building are loaded with mycotoxins. There have been a lot of floods all over the country lately. And when I see houses under 10 feet of water, I wonder, oh, my goodness, how are they ever going to deal with the potential mold problem that's going to be lurking in their basements, in their, in their crawl space, maybe even in their living space. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real problem with climate change. We're going to be seeing a lot more humidity issues and weather that's more erratic than we are, have been used to. And we have not been building our buildings for the change that's coming. That's my next goal is to try to change policy change on how we build so that we can stay well, even though something like that has happened. And to educate construction people that once the, that material is wet, it needs to be removed. There's no drying it. And we've learned that from our area. I live in a very humid area. And one in three remediations need to be redone because they didn't take enough material out. The standard is to remove two feet beyond any visible mold because mold is microscopic. It could be infecting neighboring tissue in that home, just like skin cancer. You want to have a clear border. So I do I, the same thing when I see these on the news, all these pictures of floods. I think, oh, my goodness, there's <laughs> so many people that need to understand the dangers of mold, that it's more than an aesthetic problem. Well, and it's not just flooding. I mean, we live in the South, 
where it's very humid in the summertime, and I suspect it also gets humid in Wisconsin, mm -hmm. a lot of houses have what we call crawl spaces that are ventilated, which means a lot of humid air in that crawl space. And now that we have air conditioning, it often precipitates a lot of, um, a lot of humidity down in that area, which seems like a perfect place for mold and mildew to take over. And then that can get into the house itself. Yeah. Yeah. I counsel all the patients that I work with. And I mentioned in my book, managing your indoor humidity is key that mold doesn't need a flood. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. It doesn't need a water damage event. All it needs is a cluttered, dusty house with an extra humidity, and it's got its farmland <laughs> to grow like crazy. So we work on dehumidification. What I counsel my patients is if it's above 50% humidity outside, then you need to put on your dehumidifier in your house and manage the humidity. And what should you set your dehumidifier for? What's the appropriate humidity inside? Mold will grow over 50% humidity. Okay, so should be 50% or under. Yeah, okay. and that's not necessarily comfortable to mm -hmm. respiratory passages. So I try to have people float between 50 and 60 and manage dust. How do you manage dust? I mean, obviously, you've got a vacuum cleaner that you're going to use, but yeah. what else? Just if, um, you know, it depends on your, your taste, of course, but if you're a, a person who likes a lot of clutter, then you need to realize you have to manage that and keep, keep dusting. Just good old dust. I love to use vinegar and essential oils and um, just make sure that you're keeping the dust layer in your house down. Dr. Krista, I wonder if you can tell us how we, we treat mold problems in human beings. Well, the number one, and it's actually the first three steps in my plan, that's how important it is. And I was taught by my teacher, Dr. Walter Crinian, the first three steps of toxic exposure is avoidance, avoidance, avoidance. You have to get out of that exposure. No one will get better without getting away from the mold if you've already been made sick by it. And then avoidance includes what you're eating, because we have learned through animal studies that some foods are more moldy than others. And then looking at beverages. So alcohol is a big one. Alcohol is basically a mold mycotoxin. Um, and then looking at your hobbies and habits. And if there are places that you go or you're drawn to going or um, activities that you're drawn to doing, that are exposing you to mold, you may need to avoid that for a time period while you're getting better because it could be one of the things that flares it up. And I'll give an example. Uh, one of my patients was a hobbyist brewmaster. And every time he would go into his brew room where there was yeast, he would get sicker. So he had to avoid that until he was better from the mold. A lot of physicians, your colleagues in allopathic medicine suggest medications, antifungal drugs. Do they have a place? They definitely have a place once there's a fungal infection. But I'm so lucky that I have herbal medicine because it doesn't have to be a frank infection to still be getting sick from mold. If you have mold exposure, in my experience, you also tend to have fungal overload symptoms in the body. And by using plants, Things don't have to be so severe to go ahead and engage those plants. And they don't have, the plants don't have the high side effect profile that drugs do. 
So you can use antifungal plants and plants that have antifungal action. Simple one that we know of is oregano. I have patients add oregano and garlic and rosemary to their cooking. And you can take those also as supplements, not requiring the body to be in a frank fungal infection, but improving the fungal overgrowth problems. You want to make sure that before you start killing off this fungal overgrowth that you have protected the body by protecting the neurology with good fats and protecting the liver and the kidneys because they process all of those toxins on the way out. Mold and fungus gets more toxic as it dies. So you need to first, after you've done avoidance and you put in those fundamentals of good diet, good lifestyle, then you protect the body and get it ready for the onslaught of toxins that are going to come out of the body as you kill the fungus. You're listening to Dr. Jill Krista. She's a naturopathic doctor and a nationally recognized educator on illnesses associated with mold and mycotoxin exposure. She shares what she learned after over a decade working with people struggling with chronic diseases related to mold. Dr. Krista is the author of Break the Mold, Five Tools to Conquer Mold and Take Back Your Health. And Joe, naturopathic doctors often do integrative medicine. Uh, they get more information on nutrition and botanical medicine and counseling in their curricula. Well, after the break, you'll learn about other tools to conquer mold. What can you do if mold is contributing to sinusitis? How would someone know if they're suffering from a mold infection? How good are the treatments for this type of problem? You need to fix the building as well as the body. How do you do that? You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This People's Pharmacy podcast is brought to you in part by Verizona.com. Verizona Lab offers home health tests that allow you to monitor your hormones and health conditions. You can take control of the quantitative assessment of your health and learn about male and female hormone balance, the stress hormone cortisol, leaky gut, gluten intolerance, or your gut microbiome. Take a more active role in tracking your health and take 20% off your first order of a mail-in testing opportunity with the discount code PEOPLE. That's P-E-O-P-L-E, all uppercase. To learn more, go to Verizana.com. That's V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. If you'd like to purchase a CD of today's show or any other People's Pharmacy episode, you can call 800-732-2334. Today's show is number 1177. The number again, 800-732-2334. You can also find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. You could download the free podcast from Apple, Stitcher, or from our web store. We invite you to consider writing a review. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Kaya Biotics, probiotic products made in Germany from certified organic ingredients. K-A-Y-A-Biotics.com. Have you ever found mold growing on your bathroom tiles or shower curtain? What about under the kitchen sink? 
or in your basement. How worrisome is it? If you think you've been exposed to mold and are suffering health consequences, what can you do? Our guest is Dr. Jill Krista, a nationally recognized educator on illnesses associated with mold and mycotoxin exposure. She shares what she learned after over a decade working with people struggling with chronic diseases related to mold. Dr. Krista is the author of Break the Mold, Five Tools to Conquer Mold and Take Back Your Health. Dr. Krista, you describe in your book, Break the Mold, Five Tools to Conquer Mold and Take Back Your Health. And we have started by talking about avoidance. Now, obviously, if people have a house that is full of mold, it's going to be difficult in some cases for people to just move out and Mm -hmm. find another place to live. But I guess you're saying that perhaps for a short period of time, they may need to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you go on to the other four tools, please? Sure. So the next tool is fundamentals, which is all of the basic treatment guidelines from a naturopathic doctor. So you'd be hearing from us about good diet choices, many, many, many vegetables every day. So try to get five to six servings a minimum of vegetables a day, getting good sleep, working on getting your body tuned into a normal circadian rhythm. Um, Mold tends to throw that rhythm off. So people can become night owls. So I work with patients on, remember that humans are awake in the day. We're not owls. We're not awake at night (laughs) to get on the circadian rhythm. So the fundamentals are basic things like that. And then the next tool is protect the body. The next tool is repair and then fight, which is to fight off the fungus, the fungal overload in the body. Tell us a bit more, if you would, please, about protecting the body. Yes, So there are certain things that protect your body from mold toxins. As mold dies and as fungus dies, it becomes much more toxic and can dump these mycotoxins and the liver and the kidneys have to manage that. If they can't keep up, those mycotoxins spill over into nerve tissue and into the fat to be dumped later. So we want to protect the nerve tissue We want to protect the immune system because that also takes a hit when you get these mycotoxin spillages. So I typically put patients on something that will um, manage the good fat balance in their body. And DHA is a a fish oil and a good fat that has been shown to be protective against mold toxins, especially if they're having neurological symptoms, brain cognition, maybe tremors. Uh, we really optimize that fat balance, and I use labs to to measure that and see how much we need to use. And then we protect the liver and the kidneys from any damage. The damage from these toxins really impact the liver function and the liver's ability to do its job to balance blood sugar, to make hormones, to make cholesterol, and to make the good cholesterol. So commonly, we will see someone's liver enzymes increase on their labs And when we can get them protected with things like turmeric and milk thistle, we can see those labs restore back into normal range. And quite often, their bad cholesterol will go down and the good protective cholesterol comes up with mold treatment. Now, you've mentioned sinusitis, and and that's not an unusual place. That is to say, your sinuses for mold to set up housekeeping. How do you 
get rid of mold in your sinuses? And how do you kind of protect the body from this kind of problem recurring? That is such a great question. People forget the sinuses. One of the things that when you're exposed to a water damaged building, if you tested everybody, people that don't have mold sickness and people that do, we all have fungus in our sinuses. The difference is the people that have been exposed to a water damaged building and have been impacted by that, their fungus is now acting competitively and aggressively. That's how mold competes for territory. So normal existing flora turns into what we call a biofilm and starts to act aggressively to your other normal flora. So now you get the fungus and the bacteria competing with each other for territory. And those toxins get ingested, get breathed in, and so they need to be restored. That balance needs to be restored. So for me, a key part of the fight tool is giving whole body antifungal plants while also treating the sinuses with both antifungals and antibacterials so that we can restore the flora of the sinuses to go back to acting like a homeostatic flora. And so one of my favorite tools for that is essential oils. Not everybody can tolerate those if they've been exposed to a water damaged building because they have aldehydes, which mold also secretes. But for those that can tolerate it, I found them to be the most effective because they can both neutralize mycotoxins, and that's been shown in studies, and also kill the mold. So I have a list in my book of those that do the double duty. <laughs> your, your top two or three there, and how do you use them? Yes. So top two or three would be thyme is one of my favorites because it's also antibacterial. Tea tree is a lovely one and eucalyptus. And the way that was, we put them into a little, have patients make their own. They use distilled water or boiled water or sterile water, and then put five drops of their choice of essential oil into that, into a one ounce spray bottle, and then spray that into their nose, one, one side each nostril or one time for each nostril, and do that two times per day. You can also use neti pots and um, if they are sensitive to essential oil, we have seen that manuka honey can also have a great antifungal effect. And for the antibacterial, I will use colloidal silver. And there are many already done colloidal silver sprays. There are also some essential oil sprays on the market. So people can sample and try things that seem to work for them. The Europeans have been on top of this. So um, most of them come from Europe. <laughs> How successful are you? You know, if we were to query a hundred patients that have been treated under your care, you know, 50% get better, 80%, 100%. Give us some sense of how well people can do in recovering from a mold infection. That is a great question. I would say if you queried patients, they, about 75% would say improvement. The 25% that are still struggling or still struggle quite a bit if they've been re-exposed. Many of them did not leave their environment or did not give up the hobby or habit that continuously exposes them. And then a small percentage of them had been exposed for so long and sick for so long that they were not able to fully recover. And that would be patients where they have brain impacts. Mold is also carcinogenic. 
So in some cases, there are cancers where now we're chasing the cancer and we can't really get to the mold part. How would someone know if they were actually infected by mold, either in their lungs, in their sinuses, in their digestive tract? I mean, are there any tests? Because, of course, allopathic physicians like quantitative data. Right. There are new tests that make it a little easier now. There's some debate about the source of the mycotoxins for these tests, and that is a urine mycotoxin test. So to to take away the possibility that this is an ingested problem, I have my patients do a mold-free diet for three days before they collect the sample. You can also, there is some talk about trying to provoke mycotoxins for that test but I usually don't. I usually just have them avoid the moldy foods for three days, take the test, and then uh, urine has been shown in studies to be an adequate place to, to detect mycotoxin exposure. And if you're spilling it into your urine, you either have it in your body and are detoxing it or you're actively being exposed. And that's the difficulty then for us as practitioners is is this a current exposure or a past exposure? Mm-hmm. To figure out which something? is which, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. So we can see that someone had an exposure five years ago and they came out of the building, and I have a classic case is someone that had an occupational exposure. They left their job because they the company wasn't willing to do anything different, didn't bring any belongings with them. This was not something where they brought belongings and infected another house. But the person was still sick, and it was because the sinus colonization had happened. It's not technically an infection, but a colonization. And by treating that person for mold, she was able to get better. Dr. Krista, one of your other steps in your five tools is repair. How do you go about repairing a a body that has been exposed to mold? Yes, repair is trying to restore immune function to its fullest, trying to restore liver and kidney detoxification functions, and protecting and repairing the nervous system. So I usually use bioflavonoids are my favorite. That's the colorful pigment in vegetables, Um, fruits as well. But I try to focus on vegetables first because many people, if they have fungal, fungal overgrowth, don't do well with fruit sugars. So trying to get, again, five to six servings of vegetables every day, day after day, to try to flood the body with enough bioflavonoids. There are a few bioflavonoids that we know do a better job against mold, and that's quercetin and resveratrol. So those are some of the tools that we use. I will use quercetin if somebody's symptoms are particularly respiratory and gut. And then resveratrol I use if it's more brain fog, memory, more of the brain symptoms, and neurological. Dr. Krista, you said the number one most important thing when dealing with mold is avoidance, avoidance, avoidance. And I know that there are a lot of people who are listening to us now are going, yeah, well, I have a house and it has a crawl space and it gets kind of humid down there. Maybe there's even some water that's hanging out what do I do to A, repair that problem and B, keep it from coming back? How do I get the 
humidity down? Who, who do I call and how would I know they're reliable? Yeah, great question. That's the difficulty with mold. If it's a current exposure and it's your home, we have to treat both the body and the building. I'm really good at the body part, <laughs> but I trust the building piece to people that are experts in buildings. And that would be people that are certified through the ACAC, the IICRC, or the building biology, which is the Bow Biology Institute. Those are the people that are going to be, know the best about more of a holistic diagnosis of your building. They look at the building like we look at a body. And they are wonderful at both diagnosing the problem, but also guiding you to a remediation plan that would work the best for your situation. Because not every situation is the same, just like not every body is the same. Not every building has the same illness, so to speak. Uh, those organizations again, please, because uh, sure. a lot of folks weren't ready with pen and pencil. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So the certifications are through organizations called the ACAC, the IICRC, and BBEC, which is Bow Biology Institute. We'll make sure we have links to them on our website. So in wrapping up our interview today, what would you suggest for people who go, well, I've never heard of this mold thing that they're talking about. What should I look for? How would I know that there's a problem in my house? How would I even know if I had too much humidity? You know, is there any way to measure that? And then what should I do next? I recommend that everyone in your home, go to the pet store and get a humidistat that they use in the reptile cages because <laughs> they are very sensitive to humidity levels. These are a you know $3 little humidistat dial that you can put in every room because every room in your house is going to be different and monitor the humidity and then manage it with dehumidifiers. It's a very simple little tool that can prevent hundreds and thousands of dollars of damage in your home. And again, so a humidistat, and at what level should you keep your humidity uh, below? In other words, what, what's the danger line? Yeah, so you want to be below 60%, and ideal would be below 50 That in my area, it you know, like today, it's 85% humidity outside, and it's a rainy day, and it's been a very wet season. I have had a very hard time keeping my house under 60%. We're running multiple dehumidifiers in the lower floor of my house. So um, that's a difficult thing to do. So I want to be realistic that, you know, 50%, my goodness, how are we going to do that if it's, you know, 85% humidity outside? I want to just mention that a lot of people have a humidistat on their furnace. And that is a helpful tool, but it won't tell you what's happening in each room. And that's why I like those little humidistat dials that you can get. They can sell, um, they have them on the sticky or little stands. So you can put them everywhere and put them, of course, in the least airy or air movement part of the room so that you're getting a true level. Dr. Jill Krista, thank you so much for talking with us today about mold and the problems that we can have with it. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. You've been listening to Dr. Jill Krista. 
She's a naturopathic physician and a nationally recognized educator on illnesses associated with mold and mycotoxin exposure. She shares what she learned after over a decade working with people struggling with chronic diseases related to mold. Dr. Krista's book is Break the Mold, Five Tools to Conquer Mold and Take Back Your Health. You'll find links to the organizations she mentioned at peoplespharmacy.com. And Joe, Dr. Krista also mentioned a couple of supplements that people might want to know about. Quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, and resveratrol, R-E-S-V-E-R-A-T-R-O-L. And we have information about those supplements on our website as well. We spoke earlier with Dr. Arlene Bloom, mountaineer, biophysical chemist, and executive director of the Green Science Policy Institute. Her website about the classes of chemicals to avoid is 6 classes.org. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Al Wadarski engineered. Dave Graydon edits our interviews. The People's Pharmacy is produced at the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. The People's Pharmacy theme music is by B.J. Lederman. If you'd like to buy a CD of today's show or any other People's Pharmacy broadcast, you can call 800-732-2334. Today's show is number 1177. The number again, 800-732-2334, or you can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. When you visit our site, you can share your thoughts about today's show. Have you had to deal with mold and its consequences? What worked best? How have you reduced your exposure to endocrine-disrupting chemicals like BPA? Please share your story in the comment section of today's radio show. At peoplespharmacy.com, you could sign up for our free online newsletter or subscribe to the free podcast of the show. Never miss another episode. And you can share it with a friend. When you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get our free e-guide to favorite home remedies. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com.